Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, episode 39, December 23rd, 2022. So glad you could make it. Well, today I'm going to take a gamble and ramble, maybe recite the preamble while I eat my eggs that are scrambled. That's for you, Isaac. I'm basically Malibu's most wanted after all. Um, but no, this is a uh, this is a Christmas message as promised uh, or hinted at last week. And... Um, a day early uh, than usual, of course. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve, Saturday, as the country is in the Arctic plunge here. And uh, Sunday, Christmas Day. So uh, we'll get right into it. Not too long today. Some uh, Maybe some heavy stuff at the beginning, but I promise you a great Christmas present at the end from me just after halftime. Or perhaps, yeah, just for halftime. There's a play called The Birth that uh, my friend Nathan Rouse has created. Um, Nathan and Sarah and I were all at Gardner-Webb at the same time back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, he, uh, he lives in Charlotte now, but he wrote The Birth based on Frederick Beekner's writings uh mr bigner passed away this this past year and um the birth was not able to run the last couple of years because obviously of the shutdowns and all that stuff but um this is something that we have gone to for about a decade now and i mean it's essentially the same. There are different cast members. The, some of the songs that are in the play have changed over the years, but essentially it's the same play each Christmas season. Um, and every year it's like, that's when Christmas begins. When we see this play, we took our kids to it when they were really little. I mean, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it began. And I, I remember Nathan remarking at first that he was a little concerned that our kids would be able to sit quietly, but they, but they did. Uh, and we went every year for, for, like I said, nine, 10 years. And we were able to go back a different location this year. Um, was that St. Martin's, St. Something's Episcopal Church in Charlotte. So a different scene than the, uh, than the theater that it's usually in. But if you, if you have a chance, if you live anywhere around the Charlotte area, if you have a chance to to go see this Christmas play, it's it's something that's it's it's a little different, and uh, I had forgotten how impactful it it was for me. Um, I mean, really, from the opening scene where they 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 play this thing called Mary's Song, and there's an opening ballet number, I guess, from Nathan's um, Nathan's sister does it, Kate, and I mean, I was teary eyed already. You know, just sitting there with my three kids and some other friends that we had there. Um, Donnie, Mr. Good was able to join us. Good and Fraser were able to meet up. Uh, that was cool. 
Um, but it's just really powerful. And, and, and really it's just narrate. It's a, it's a monologues. Um, Nathan does a monologue from the viewpoint of the innkeeper, from the viewpoint of one of the wise men and from the viewpoint of one of the shepherds. And it's just fantastic. And each year I get something that hits me a little different, you know? Um, but the, the, the birth opens with a narrator who comes out and kind of creates this scene where God has written, I exist in the stars with all types of different flurries and flourishes. And, um, you know, the whole world sees it and at first is totally overwhelmed. And, um, he, you know, it's, it's just a, an interesting scene that the narrator presents but in the end, after years and rewriting and using in different languages and and the different flares that God could create to say that I exist, uh, the narrator suggests that there would be maybe a little boy chewing his bubble gum who would look up at the at the stars that says God exists, and then the little boy would say, "So what? So what?" And the narrator, again, echoing Frederick Buechner's writings, says that it is not objective proof of God's existence that we're after, but it's the experience of God's presence that we long for. And the narrator goes on to say that he suggests that at Christmas that's exactly what we get. I was sitting in the the chair yesterday at my hair salon, getting my hair did, and uh, we were talking, as we always do, um, just about family and about the town and about things that are going on. Um, Kathy is a wonderful human, and we were talking about um, so, so the family of, of someone in the town who had had passed away recently and how, you know, at Christmas they had always loved to watch the Charlie Brown special and how they had always loved to listen to um, Charlie Brown's Christmas, you know, the, the, the Vince Garotti trio. And um, that, that was, that was this man, Jerry, who had, had passed. That was his favorite thing. And like, that was, everybody knew that about him. And so when his granddaughter came in, to get her hair done as soon as she sat in the chair that song came on like as soon as she sat down and you know what what are the what are the chances well, well there are chances of course there is a chance that song is going to play you know and there is a chance that it says i, I don't suggest that there isn't um my dad loves a book by will campbell called brother to a dragonfly and so the dragonfly has become quite a, a symbol for uh, for our family, for my mom especially, because as she was waiting uh, um, on my dad at a at a hospital for a doctor's visit, you know, early on in this battle, um, a dragonfly landed right on her rearview mirror, and that's happened a couple of different times. And you know what? Do dragonflies fly around? You know, is there a chance that that's going to happen? Yeah, of course. All those things can be explained away but as kathy says you know those are the, when, when the lady sat down in the snoopy song as she called it came off she said those are just god things 
and I, I understand the, the pushback. I understand the eye roll even on uh, some of that um, for people who, you know, can clearly estimate the chances that that could happen and that it was just a coincidence. And maybe it was. Maybe the dragonfly wasn't sent specifically for that time. Maybe it wasn't sent. That's how you want to think about it. Maybe the song didn't come on just for her. After all, other people are hearing it on the same radio station. Whatever, whatever. But at that moment, those people, my mom and this granddaughter, experienced the presence of something real. Something more powerful, something more ah, that just gets inside your guts. You know what I'm talking about. I've thought a little bit about um, the cultural wars that we have around with Starbucks cups or whatever. And, you know, we put out happy holidays on, on our, we say Merry Christmas in the, <laughs> in the Facebook post, but our graphic says happy holidays. And there are a couple of those. What is the big giant surprise gaspy face mean? What does that emoji mean? I know the laughy face and I hate that one the most, like whatever, whatever. But like, what does the gaspy face mean? I, I'm not sure. I think I have a, a pretty good clue. But people get upset when you say happy holidays, especially around here, because it's a war on Christmas, you know? So I got curious and I looked up the estimated populations of world religions and, and Christianity is um, two point something billion, maybe close to three billion. Islam following close behind uh, with Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, perhaps, and then Sikhism and then Judaism. Uh, I need to look it up. I think that was a Wikipedia entry that I was checking out. But we just get so wrapped up in these little things. And it just, look, that's part of the reason why I've really struggled with with this Christmas thing, you know. I've been vocal about that over the past couple of episodes. I saw a, a guy on Instagram who says that, you know, he was raised in the Muslim tradition and he had never celebrated Christmas and he uh, was going to, to participate this year, or at least be an outside observer with, with his roommates, I guess, as they uh, did their Christmas thing. And he, he has a couple of different uh, observations that he posted on Instagram. And, and one was that he says he didn't realize Christmas was a part-time job from mid-November to December, that there are always things to do and, and errands to run and things to take care of and that it becomes almost a part-time job. He also says that people sure have strong feelings about their Christmas traditions. And that's, uh, that's true too. Try, try, uh, try changing things up and see how that goes for it. He talks about how you can't win the perfect gift competition that somebody's always going to spend more than they were supposed to, but just the whole idea of the perfect gift competition. Mm. And and he says a couple other things, but one of the things he says at the end is that the religious aspect of Christian of of Christmas is optional. Um, he he says he he tries to imagine celebrating Ramadan without the without the religious aspect or suggesting that to his mom, you know, and, and how she would react. Anyway, like I said, rambling a bit today. I, I did send the 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 
redeemed Grinch email to my fellow colleagues at, at the high school. Um, enough people were just sending out emails talking about the Grinch and how they were in a bad mood or how it was negative and they were using them. So I sent the email and talked about how we should all want to be the Grinch. Um, I think I was nice with that. Uh, we're, we're having Christmas at our house. We, um, the space is just a little bit better, I guess, for, for our family and the situation that we're in with 16, I mean, adults now. We don't have little kids running around anymore, um, 16, at least almost adults in the last couple, two or three cases. Um, and that's a lot of big people. And so I'm, I'm really excited. I know that it's a, it's a change, but the family is on board and uh, we're, we're decorating up and making it as Dolly would say, a Christmas to remember. Um, going to be cold, but, but definitely going to be a good time on, on Saturday. I, I mentioned the, the Snoopy song and the woman that passed, or I'm sorry that her, whose husband and, and granddad had passed. He was a town worker. And so I, that was a, a thing, you know, like we had a tragedy, it was an accident. And right here at Christmas time, uh, I, I had to, well, I didn't have to, but I was able to, to share some words with our, with our staff. And I, I, I just want to read them. And uh, when we read the story of Jesus, we recognize just how difficult many of the parts of his life were from his birth all the way to Calvary. And of course, along the way, he lost his very good friend, Lazarus. And we know the words all too well, Jesus wept. But we know he had his friends around him, and we know that the story of Christmas is the story of redemption, the story of our Lord coming to make his home with us, and that somehow even heart-wrenching tragedy is redeemed. It's a part of what will be made new. One of my favorite songs has a line that says, All in time there is light, and in the light there is hope. Jerry was taken from us so suddenly, and for that loss we grieve during this season. But you know that wide-faced smile of his and that knowing whistle. He, he must have had an extra sense because he always seemed to know when I was about to pass by, and then he launched that whistle my way. Made my day every single time. That whistle, that smile, that gift he had to brighten people's days will live on and will bring light to the folks of this town. I'm so proud to be a part of this team. The way you all have rallied together and gotten each other's backs has been truly inspiring to me. Because that same light that shines so brightly in Jerry shines in you. I see it every day in each of you. I see it every single day. So from the bottom of my heart, because you all make me a better man, I wish you a Merry Christmas and pray that the light will shine bright on you in the new year. Thank you for what you do, but more importantly, thank you for who you are. And I hope you hear that too. It's directed at our town employees, but then at our town in general. But but I hope you can hear those words. Getting close to wrapping up, but 
you know, I've been reading more and more articles. I teach about this trend, this demographic trend in AP government called the rise of the nuns, not N-U-N, but the N-O-N-E-S. I read a different word called the nonverts um, this week. It's like 20% or so that says, um, hold on, wrote it down. Yeah, 20%, just no religion at all. Um, record highs of people who don't believe in much of anything. But people moving away from the traditional aspects of the church, of Christianity. And by what, 2070? I think that will that is projected to be a majority. So, I, I, I mean, on the one hand, I understand why uh, people who are, you know... Um, entrenched in Christianity or churchianity. I understand why they get mad about happy holidays and about Starbucks cups because their numbers are dwindling. But what I really get is the reason why the numbers are dwindling. I I don't, I don't want to speak too much about what I'm against. I'd rather talk about what I'm for, but there's a lot of, a lot of Trumpy type stuff going on. And uh, a lot of planting flags and building walls rather than meeting outside the camp with, with the other, as it talks about Jesus doing in Hebrews. Mega churches are, are the trend, you know, that they're they're bucking the trend. Still rising in 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 membership despite the despite the the downward trend of of religious affiliation in general. I've been thinking about staging, and I've been thinking about egocentrism, and maybe I'll talk more about that uh, in future episodes. You know, and what social media does to us, and how we think we know stuff because we see people's pictures or we see people's stories, and um, you know, egocentrism. When I teach it, is is more just like. Um, you know, if my little kid is talking on the telephone and, and his grandmother asks him a question and he just nods his head and he knows he nodded his head. And so she must know that too. And that's a natural part of development that Piaget talks about. But I, I just wonder if, if we aren't kind of regressing or, or, or if we aren't kind of lured back into that stage because of our social media presence where we, we think that we know so much because of not only social media, but because of the internet in general, because of the amount of information that we can get, because the amount of information that we think we have and that we think we understand about people, about things, about places, about events. It creates a maybe a false sense of confidence. I don't know. And staging has its part too. We talked about this, you know, in terms of concerts and things like that. If you want to provide a good atmosphere for people who are there to enjoy the music. And so I don't mean these things quite maybe how they come out, but you know, of course mega churches are trending well. They they know how to do it. They know how to market. They know what you want. They know how good it's going to feel for me to be at Madison Square Garden, hopefully in just a couple of days with, what, 30,000 other people riding the, the highs and lows and the peaks and valleys of amazing music 
the mob kind of atmosphere where we become de-individuated. I, I don't, you know, I've got my own issues. I've got my, my own issues with the traditional church. I'm not a big fan of the worship face pictures like that are, that are promoted for, you know, like the, the word says, when you pray, go into your room, go into your closet. This is not a demonstration for other people. Anyway, I don't, I'm not mad at the people. I understand. I really do. I wish the teachers would do a better job and maybe the teachers of the teachers. I wish our, our, I wish our culture would settle in a little bit, quiet down a little bit, take a couple breaths and reflect on the experience of God's presence. Anyway, I, I, I did. I, I, I went to my first counseling session, my first therapy session yesterday. I'd, I'd been to a couple of ones before kind of in crisis mode. I'm not really in crisis mode at this moment. And so I thought it'd be a good time to try to wrestle with some about what four decades of defense and uh, tension. But I went through the thing and I, I don't, I'm not ready to quite talk about all the things. I mean, I did a lot of, I did a lot of sobbing, you know, I did a lot of little kid with his chin curled up, kind of just outright weeping. Um, but I went through that, that whole thing, that hour that I really don't remember much of. And in the end, um, the counselor, she asked if, if I could just sit there and I could close my eyes or not, and just listen to words that she said. And as she said these words, which were affirmations of me, you know, which were, you know, looking at me saying my name, it was weird. <laughs> It was hard. And as she as she said the things, the positive things about me, my I could feel my jaw clench. It was already there. My stomach tightened. And she asked if my clenched jaw could speak, what would it say? And through tears, what my clenched jaw was saying in response to her saying good things about me was that I don't believe you. We continued the practice a couple of more times and I did get to the point where I said that I believe that I can believe you. And I wonder if you know about that. I believe that I can believe you. I believe that I can believe in my worth. Look, I'm I'm a good teacher. I've been a good teacher for almost 20 years. 20 years. I'm a good dad. 
I've got phenomenal kids, a fantastic wife. My family is just, man, it's amazing. I'm a good, I was good at being a town council person and I'm good at being mayor. I love it. People comment on the things that I write and suggest that maybe I should write a book and wonder where I learned wasn't I an English major, these types of things. And yet, the only response that I can give truly and truthfully when someone comments on the worth of of me, of my being, is that I don't believe you. Like that's my initial response. But I did get to the point where I could say, I believe that I can believe you. And this experience of the presence, this experience of the Christ consciousness, of, of the one, of the spirit, whatever, we get so confident in our words, but whatever your words are, we all know this experience some shape or form, some kind word that is spoken to you or some cute thing that your kid does that, that shouldn't, shouldn't overwhelm you, but just does like fills you up with so much that you just overflow a sappy line at the end of parks and rec by Leslie note, or the way the sun shines through the window while the winter limbs sway in this Arctic wind. You know that. You know about those things, about those experiences. And so I, I just want to say that for Christmas, the message that I have for you is that I will believe for you if, if you'll do the same for me. That as we struggle through whatever it is, whatever it is. And if you're not struggling at this time, then believe for those of us who are. And when we get to that peak, we'll do the same. Because I do suspect that some of you are like me, that you want to believe. You long to believe. You maybe even believe it in your head, but your body suggests otherwise or your emotional reactions suggest otherwise but you're worthy because you are that's the story that's the story of the incarnation that's the story of christmas it's not glory it's a baby in a barn you know, that has to disappear after a little while because there's a price on his head. It's the mystery of how death leads to life, how suffering and loneliness and heartbreak are redeemed. How we're not going through this alone, even though it feels like that sometimes, because 
it's they're difficult barriers to cross to know each other. And we're good at defending. I'm good at defending. But you're worth it. Because you are. Because you exist. And we're reminded of that in those little God things, you know? We're reminded of that in the experience of God's presence in however shape or form. Don't mistake it for the wind. It's a whisper to you. I believe that I can believe. And I believe that you can believe. And I ask for you to return that to me. Well, dang. Thanks for uh, listening to all that. I don't know if it made sense. I hope so. Um, this is going to be quite a journey for me over the next several months. And uh, I'll share what I can. But uh, I told you I'd leave you with a, a great Christmas present. And, and here it is. I, I saw another thing that says uh, that a seven-year-old interrupted his dad's bedtime story. And she said, you know, in a pie-eating contest, there aren't any winners and losers because you, everyone gets to eat pie. And the dad says, I think about that a lot. And that's pretty good. And here you go. Here's your ultimate Christmas present. Did you know that the the distance between your earlobes is the same distance between your nipples? You're welcome. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. This has been a Church of Six production brought to you by the token of hope, by the bucket of life, by the wall of belief, by the magic rock, and by the foundation tower of stone. Nothing divine is desperate. Don't forget to believe and believe you can believe and be live. Peace, my friends.